Stephen Henderson. I'm Russ McNamara. This is a special edition of Detroit Today. Good morning. According to research by my next guest, today's white nationalists have roots in racist groups like the KKK and the Black Legion, groups that were quite active here in Michigan in the 1920s and 30s. Dr. Joellen Vineyard is a historian and the author of the book Right in Michigan's Grassroots, From the KKK to the Michigan Militia. Dr. Vineyard, good morning. Thanks good for morning. joining So, basically, is there something about Michigan that makes this state more prone to militia groups, or is this fairly well spread out and it only seems bigger because we've had some high-profile incidents? Well, Michigan has been uh, home to a number of different right-wing groups all along, uh, so-called right-wing groups, and it probably is more important than many other states in that sense. It's also been home, of course, to a number of the major reform movements in the country, which get forgotten when these things come up about the right wing. Um, But yes, Michigan is not a microcosm of the United States. It's got its own special history, its own special economic dynamic. Yeah, it, it, it it seems like, you know, these movements have started here and gone elsewhere across the Midwest. In this particular incident, you know, it, it was seemingly regional uh, with mostly arrests coming from Michigan, though, you know, there were meetings in Ohio. One of the men were from Delaware. But, you know, still Michigan was the focal point for this particular incident. Has this been the way, like, throughout the history? Uh, if you look back at uh, Father Coughlin and, uh, you know, deep ties in Howell for a while with a very vocal voice of the KKK, uh, is you know has Michigan been kind of the always been kind of the epicenter? Uh, it has been uh, for many of these movements. We had a very strong KKK in the 1920s, um, Father Coughlin's movement, which is different. Again, each one of these movements is different from the other. They are a reaction to the time in which they originate or get organized. But yes, Michigan has been a, a center for all kinds of activity. Yeah. Uh, just this past weekend, a man in the anti-government boogaloo movement, uh, Eric Allport, was shot and killed by federal agents uh, during a shootout in a parking lot in Madison Heights. Um, Robert Snell, the great Detroit news reporter here in town, figured out that he played a small role in the disastrous Ruby Ridge standoff, and that kind of had echoes further on and spurred uh, Terry Nichols and Timothy McVeigh. Right. And blowing up the federal building in Oklahoma City. So, I mean, it seemed like after Oklahoma City and especially 9-11, uh, there was, you know, that some of these militia groups and white nationalist movements kind of, you know, went quiet. But they came back. Right. They came back in, in a different form in many ways. The militia of the late 90s and early 20th or tw- early. 2000s, um, were, were, there is no Michigan militia. It's, it's a collection of different groups who call themselves militias. But most of those people were not violent. Um, this group sounds more violent, right, from what we know about them so far. And they sound much more like groups such as the Proud Boys um, in terms of violence. And it's it's a special group. It's related to the times that we're in. All of the 
conflicts, the concerns that people have right now. And so it reflects always a broader public sentiment uh, that is not violent, but that is very concerned. We're talking with Dr. Joellen Vineyard. Uh, she's an expert in militias and the white nationalists and white supremacist history of Michigan. Uh, if you'd like to chime in, give us a call at 313-577-1019. Do you see that the, the violence of these groups, is that? do you think it's tied in with law enforcement at all? Uh, two of the men charged are friends of a southwest Michigan sheriff, uh, and they appeared with him at an anti-Governor Whitmer rally uh, over the summer. Uh, I'll read this quote uh, from the Barry County Sheriff, Dar Leaf. He, uh, when asked by a West Michigan TV station about appearing at a rally with these guys, he said, quote, I haven't read everything up on it. I've got other duties to do. It wasn't our investigation. I was shocked, did not see this coming with those guys. But we still can't convict them in the media here. They do have a right to fair trial. Do you, do you see as like a sheriff having close ties with uh, men who were later involved in, allegedly in this plot uh, as essentially looking for tacit approval from some of these law enforcement officers? Well, that, that could be possible. In each one of these time periods, there have been uh, police, sheriffs, congresspersons, uh, state legislators involved, ministers, and so th- th- there is a broader uh, group out there than just a few people who others might consider, you know, crazy, violent men. Um, so yes, that, but that doesn't mean again that we should be defunding the police or, uh, you know, labeling all policemen as part of this. Uh, when it came to the rise of these militia groups again. Uh, it seemed like it was a two-pronged approach. It was centered around, essentially, with the uh, run for pre- for the presidency and the inauguration of Barack Obama. And that seemed to also spur maybe the political arm of that when it came to the Tea Party, while you had maybe the more fringe side uh, when it came to violence uh, in the rise of these militia groups. You also had the Tea Party, Right. Who who also came to power? Are, are these two things linked in any yes. way? Yes, yes, they are. Often, what we've seen uh, over time is that the 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 violent aspects of these groups it, it, it's a cover almost for people who can say, "Well, I'm not part of that group," or "I don't believe in those kooks." But in at rock bottom, they're very concerned about what's happening in the country. And you're right that uh, it, it began to emerge again with Barack Obama and then with President Trump. Um, there has been a sense that they've been almost freed to to act because one of the things we are always taught in grade, from grade school on is, you know, stand up and take responsibility, uh, take care of democracy. And that's what these different groups see themselves as. They're trying to save the country from somebody. Yeah, and who more often than not when we've seen these militia groups rise and these various uh, white nationalist groups, who exactly are they saving the country from? Well, at, at different times, it's, it's, but right now, the militia, and when it arose in the 90s, was worried about the government itself. It thought the government had been uh, overtaken by forces in communism, socialism, 
world order, and and they were afraid that the government was the threat. And usually, when Republican government uh, presidents or governments came in, they were less concerned because they're always concerned about gun rights. That's that's a major uh, uniting force. But uh, they they do reflect what's going on in in general in the communities. Yeah, I was going to say gun rights seems to be at the heart of a lot of this. Uh, in that sense, do these militia groups and Second uh, Second Amendment rights activists, do they kind of have a point? Because Democrats have laid out that they do want to restrict access to some firearms, though a total firearm ban seems highly unlikely at any point. That's right. That that they do worry that, that they're going to lose their arms entirely. That's what their claim always is. And that then the government will be able to come in and take over the people because they won't be able to arm again. You know, they won't be armed and able to rise against the government. Yeah, is there is there some kind of disconnect there? Because it, it seems the same people who are, uh, at least in the instance of these rallies and protests uh, on the state capitol in Lansing, uh, those people are very thin blue line, pro-police, uh, pro-law enforcement, but at the same time, they're seemingly also those who are concerned about the government coming and taking their guns when it would be law enforcement that would be charged and tasked with doing that. That's right. You're, you're right. They, they, they're very contradictory in many ways. We're talking with Dr. Joellen Vineyard. She's a historian and the author of the book Right in Michigan's Grassroots, From the KKK to the Michigan Militia. Uh, let's head to the phones right now into Huntington Woods. Uh, Jackie, uh, thanks for coming on Detroit Today this morning. Hi, thank you so much. Um, I was just wondering, I've been wondering about this a lot, if, she could, if our guest could comment on the role of toxic masculinity in these movements. Um, I mean, it's without a doubt, there, you know, there's women in these movements, but without a doubt, the vast majority of armed militias are led by, propagated by men and, um, you know, the white nationalism and all of it. And, of course, our president is a perfect example of that as well. So I just, I haven't heard people talk a lot about that, but I don't, I don't think there's a coincidence that their target was a women-led administration with a secretary of state, attorney general, governor, and then, of course, a, a black um uh, lieutenant governor. So I'll take the uh, Yeah, And thanks a lot for the phone call, Jackie. Yeah, Dr. Vineyard, uh, what would you say about toxic masculinity playing into this? Right. She's right. Um, it, it is, all these groups have been heavily male-dominated, um, especially the very fringes of them. Um, on the whole, often their family groups, too, they take their children to, to firing ranges, they take them to training sessions, uh, but and, and women, they always say women are part of the group, as they say. The militia said, you know, we're not we're not white supremacists. We have black members, but uh, of course they're very few. Um, so she's she's absolutely right. And and Michigan's governor has been attacked as a nasty woman uh, by the president. Yeah, because I mean. For those that grew up in the 80s and 90s, as I did, you know, uh, we grew up on a steady stream of Westerns and action movies uh, that continues to this day. So you have an idea of what a man actually is. Uh, I'm from the Upper Peninsula. I went through hunter safety much like many other 
uh, people in my grade and class did, along with uh, several women. But is the expectations of men in some circles, uh, is it still that way? Are we still cranking out uh, children who could, you know, who are expressing views of toxic masculinity? Well, I couldn't speak for, for the attitudes of all the children in Michigan, but, <laughs> but yes, uh, we, we still do. I mean, we talk about um, women and their importance and, and their equality, but it, it's really not come, come all the way down to the bottom or in the middle or even the top. Um, so it, it is still an attitude that, that men, men are stronger, men, men know better, uh, they aren't subject to whims or, you know, fancy. So, yes. Yeah, and, it, and uh, Jackie brought up the fact that all of the, you know, the top three positions of power in Michigan are filled by women. That's right. And, and so it's, is it Michigan a special case in that regard where it really kind of brings out the misogynistic feelings in many of the, uh, the white men in the state? It probably does, yes. Um, we don't know if there were any women involved. This sounds like it's just a, a smaller group of, of you know, people who are prone to violence and taking uh, more violent action. Let's head back to the phone lines. If you would like to chime in, go ahead and give us a call at 313-577-1019. Uh, Elena, good morning. Elena, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you. I was just um, wondering what you're thinking about the incredibly different approach the media has taken between this group and their clear plan to harm the governor. And the man who was in the news in the last few months, but very briefly, and the way in which Kim Worthy spoke about Robert Tesh, who made a credible threat online against the governor. And he was a downtown developer, and he threatened the governor for her lockdown order. It was a threat against the Attorney General, Dana Nessel, and Governor Whitmer. And instead, they put him on a tether, and you haven't heard another word about him. But he made a threat to harm the governor. Yeah, uh, and thanks for the phone call, Elena. I, I think there is a bit of a difference in this regard, just because... Uh, they were able to kind of survey the threat. Uh, it was just an online threat. And of course, sometimes that does lead to violence. But also, this was an organized plot uh, involving several different entities and people who had weapons and explosives. Uh, do, do you see it that way, Dr. Vineyard? Yes, yes, it is a different situation. These people uh, had been planning for months, apparently, and they were armed and they did have explosive devices that they were making. Um, so it's not, I mean, there are idle threats, I don't know how idle, all the time made against government leaders. And so I, I think this is a group that, that was prepared and eager to take action. Yeah, why, why do you think they could pull this off? Uh, they, they think they're maybe more competent, because if, if you look at the mugshots, it's a ragtag bunch of guys. Yep. And normally, when the gentleman that we saw on the, you know, the lawn of the state capitol, they're using piecemeal equipment, some of it ill-fitting, 
and the tactical gear uh, didn't look like it suited them particularly well. And yes, they had the firepower with them, but at the same time, uh, it, it looked very unorganized and not exactly what you'd expect out of a quote-unquote well-regulated militia. That's right. Uh, they, they do look like a ragtag group, but unfortunately there are many people who look like ragtag groups who feel they have been left behind and, and have in, in several ways. Michigan's economy was in terrible shape, and the promise of democracy was trickling down very slowly. So um, they, they do look like they were not very well equipped or prepared, but they were determined. That's, that's the thing about them. They organized, they had the, their own numbers, um, and they were, they were determined to act. Is that the case in the ease uh, of being able to get a firearm in this state, in this country, wherein even one person... Uh, who has their mindset can have easy access to firearms, ammunition, and cause havoc, like we've seen in many mass shootings all across the country, like in you know Las Vegas and El Paso. Sure, we have we have very easy gun access in this country, uh, legal or illegal, and and in Michigan we have one of the largest groups of NRA members in the country, and so yes, the ability to get a hold of of guns is is not a problem. So why do you think that people were so upset with uh, Governor Whitmer when it comes to the the laws? I mean, they, they immediately come out saying that she's a tyrant. Right. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, and I think most people were frustrated with the fact that we had to stay at home. We couldn't go to work with our, you know, we couldn't go to our favorite restaurants and a host of other things. We had to limit our movements within the state of Michigan to stop the spread. And so in that regard, I mean, does it really match up with Governor Whitmer being a tyrant that we think of in the classic sense, I guess? Well, to their minds, it does. They believe they were being denied basic freedoms. Um, you know, there are people who think that, that helmet laws, seatbelt laws, all of these things are a denial of basic freedom, but not quite to the same, same extent as right now, when so many businesses, restaurants, bowling alleys, swimming pools have been closed. So they saw Governor Whitmer, this, this group, as really denying them their basic rights as Americans. Yeah, interesting. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Joellen Vineyard. Uh, she's a historian and the author of the book, Right in Michigan's Grassroots, from the KKK to the Michigan Militia. Uh, let's head back to the phone lines. If you'd like to chime in, 313-577-1019. Oh, no, we will keep it here for right now. So is there, when it comes to these militia groups, is there an internal power structure? Do we usually have a leader or is it really just part of the collective? Well, there usually is a leader uh, to, to some extent or another, and that's one of the problems with forming. An, there's no statewide militia because the leaders fought among themselves over tactics, over uh, goals, and and so they could not agree who was going to be the leader. But but yes, there usually is is a leader of of the group um, within. As they, that's why they they split off into so many different little groups. 
Yeah. How how do these groups usually are, are they brought down? Is it is it infighting? Is it you know a fight over the uh, overall power struggle? Do people just lose interest uh, in, in the course of the investigation? Uh, when one of the plots started talking about going after law enforcement, uh, somebody got cold feet and contacted uh, federal agents, and that's how they were, you know, able to infiltrate uh, one of the groups and, you know, kind of get after people. Is this like a cycle that we've seen an awful lot? Right. Uh, there are before? often informants within the, the groups, within the militia groups. That was one of their arguments against each other, is that, one of the leaders they would charge was really an informant for the FBI or the BATF. So they always, these are people who are fearful, and they always fear that internally they've also got problems. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, we get most of our view of these militia groups uh, via popular culture. And so it, it seems like there's always seemingly some sort of conflict within that brings them down. Uh, is this, it, I guess, a an instance where you know art is right there in lockstep with reality? Um, yeah, it, it is. Many things sort of cause them to wear down. Uh, it's an effort to go to meetings all the time. It's an effort to stay alert, and they get people get you know concerned with their own family lives, and they drift away from the militia. Sometimes they're disgusted by the leadership. Sometimes they, they don't want to go train every weekend. You know, yeah. it, it's a variety of things that bring them down. But most of these groups have a fairly short life in terms of their organized um, activity. But the, the problem is that the sentiments that they are harboring reflect a broader sentiment in the, in the population. And in each one of these time periods, we see uh, laws enacted or changes come that really reflect some of the direction that these people, you know, were, were heading in. Yeah. Uh, let's head back to the phones real quick, 313-577-1019. Let's head up to Flint. Landon, good morning. Uh, hi, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Very well, thank you. Good, good. Uh, my question uh, for you and uh, and the doctor that we have on the line is, uh, when do we start uh, referring to this group as a uh, terrorist organization, as uh, their act was going to be an act of terror and not really in lines with what we've seen traditionally with the militia? Yeah, that's a, that, that's an interesting question. Uh, Landon, thanks a lot for the phone call. Uh, Dr. Vineyard, uh, what do you think? Well, um, we label groups terrorists when we decide to label them terrorists. <laughs> yeah. And and that's part of the problem. Uh, we have not been concerned about domestic terrorism over the last few years. Uh, the president has paid little attention to that problem, even though it's been brought to his attention that domestic terrorism is a greater threat than external terrorists. So we like to label people terrorists because it makes it easy to explain away their activities and attitudes. Yeah, it seems in this case it would be a slam dunk to refer to them as terrorists. Uh, the, the state charges reflect terrorism. The federal charges really sure. do not. Um, these, you know, From all accounts and the allegations made, these were politi- politically motivated men. It's essentially the simple definition of terrorism. Oh, if this was a group of Muslim men, uh, do you think the federal charges might reflect uh, terrorism. 
I think they probably would. Uh, it, that's that's part of the problem. Our our inconsistency in identifying groups and in in acting in a way that that will will help. We often exaggerate the problem of just a few without understanding that the problem is broader in society. Yeah. Let's sneak in one more phone call here. Uh, let's go to Warren. Delphine, good morning. Hi. Um, I've been a number of times in Lansing when those guys are there. It's mostly guys. And they're so menacing. You're afraid to walk up to the Capitol building, and the whole place is full of them and all their guns. It's so scary. And uh, you're not allowed to bring even a piece of paper that says peace. So this is, and it's as a result of, I think, the Republican-controlled legislature. This has got to stop. There can be no arms in, in the Capitol or around the Capitol. This is crazy. And it also seems as if the uh, police or whoever is in charge, the state police, whatever, like they're siding with them. And you're the loony because you want peace and you want women's rights or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, no, that, that, that's a good point, Delphine. And uh, thanks a lot for the phone call. Uh, kind of wrapping things up here, Dr. Vineyard. Is that kind of strange that there's a disconnect in the uh, Michigan Capitol where protest signs uh, are not allowed, but firearms are both are seemingly granted by constitutional rights? That's right. There, 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 that is a disconnect, and you know, the, the taking guns right into the to the floor at the state legislature is ridiculous. She's she's right, uh, and and I don't think it's problem of the police. I don't think we can blame the police for this disparity. It's, it's just that uh, we're, we're in a very confused, conflicted situation always between democratic rights and the need to maintain order. Yeah, uh, and I guess we will have to leave it there. Dr. Joellen Vineyard is a historian and the author of the book, Right in Michigan's Grassroots, From the KKK to the Michigan Militia. Uh, Dr. Vineyard, thanks a lot for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. We'll talk with Joseph Lehman, the president of the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. The think tank successfully filed a lawsuit to stop Governor Whitmer from being able to issue executive orders during the pandemic. We'll get these centers taken this news. Robert and Roseville, hang on. We will get to your phone call. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET.